Luke chapter 11, and while you find your place there in, in Luke, I have, some, I have some great news. I am very excited to tell you that our Bible study classes, what we've historically called Sunday School, will be starting up on Sunday, November 1st from 9 to 9.45. Um, these are our Elevate Student Ministry, 6th through 12th grade. The Crossway class with Steve Gerber and Jeff Osberg, Pastor Cedric's class, and Steve Durfler's class. And so you're going to find a list of those classes and their locations. They'll be in the bulletin next week and on mywhbc.com. So make sure that you check that out so you know where to go on that first Sunday of November. Although we are happy to see these classes start up again, it does come with some unique to us challenges. And one of those challenges is children's ministry. With 40%, this is kind of a staggering number, but it's, it's reality in our church and in most churches in our country, but over 40% of our church family is still worshiping at home. And so we won't be able to provide Hill Kids during this Sunday school or this Bible study class hour. And that's due to just a continued great need for volunteers in our children's ministry. So we're going to ask that you would consider maybe serving in this vital area. Now, I also want to say this. It's not a life sentence. Like, it's not till death parts us. Uh, it's, it's, you, you don't have to do this forever. Uh, you don't have to be committed to it until the end of your life. But it is the sole reason why we haven't been able to do some of these things a little sooner as we really want to. And it's just because we just aren't able to do it. And we're not able to do everything that we want to do. Uh, something helpful to point out, though, is that if more people would be willing to serve, it would be much less often that each person would have to serve back there. You wouldn't have to serve every other week. And so, I mean, you just imagine if we had 30 or 40 people sign up to serve in this area, you may only have to serve once a month or once every two months. And so there are some benefits to more of you stepping up and being willing to serve back there. And so many of you have expressed a desire to start serving somewhere. And I know kids' ministry, children's ministry, is not for everyone. You don't want me in children's ministry. I'm a terrible children's ministry volunteer. And it's okay if it's not your thing. But right now, it's a huge need within our body. So just consider how God could use you in this area even if it wouldn't be your first choice. And it is a bummer to us that we won't be able to provide children's ministry during that Bible study uh, hour, but we know that God will supply our needs when he's ready, and he'll fill those needs. And if you would like more details, or you are interested in serving in one of these areas, in this specific area, you can contact Pastor Kyle Hart or Heidi Curie through the church office or through mywhbc.com, and they can let you know where the needs are and how you can serve. Now, I do want to be clear. Please don't hear that we don't have children's ministry. Because I know that's going to be the next, that's going to be the next email or the next text message or the, the rumors that get started. Pastor Zach said we're getting rid of children's ministry. That's not what I said. We are still having children's ministry. We still will have children's ministry at 10 a.m. And once we have enough volunteers to staff the Bible study hour, we will let everyone know. Something else that I have noticed and we have noticed and evaluated is what a sweet spirit that we've had together in this sanctuary over the last six and a half months together. There's a unity that comes with us being all together. 
And we have experienced such joy, even through many painful trials and troubles and struggles, because of being one body in this building. Now, we know that there are so many who are not yet able to attend in person, and we look forward and hope to the day that they can return and be with us again in this building. And for now, they're online, and we're thankful for the, for the technology that we have so those people can still be a part of what we're doing. But as I have prayed and I have fervently sought God's wisdom in his word and how he structured the church and counsel for how to continue to further that unity, I do want to let everyone know this morning that we do plan to continue with one main worship service at 10 a.m. in the future. There will be a Bible study hour from 9 to 9.45, technically 45 minutes, but there will be one main service where we will all get together and worship together. I've shared this vision with our, our pastors and our leadership, and we are all in agreement on how to best move forward with God's guidance. We feel that God is leading us toward a multi-generational church service with one identity and one common mission that is unmistakably ours. One that is committed to making much of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will continue to equip and edify the saints within our family to do the work of the ministry and absolutely never cease to unapologetically proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. West Hill, if you don't know, our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that purpose and that mission will be unchanging. That will be our goal moving forward, is to honor God with our church and our function and what we do and where we go. And regarding music, what I can guarantee is that we will remain committed to playing and singing music that truly worships the Lord and pleases Him and focuses on Him alone and His holiness and His faithfulness, as I stated a few weeks ago. So we're going to ask, I'm going to ask, for your patience in this area as we all die to ourselves, as we all die to our preferences, while we look first and foremost to the goal of unity within our body. This summer, as you all know, has come with some very unique things. So much division, whether politically, socially, or even spiritually charged has taken place. It's been a struggle at times for all of us to remember that every Christ follower in this room and watching at home, that we are on the same team, that we follow the same God, that we have the same purpose and the same mission in this life. And we ourselves as pastors, although sometimes it's, it's not known, have also had to wade through the same messes that you've had to wade through as well. We've had to rediscover ourselves We've had to let God recenter us all while leading a church and making seemingly impossible decisions that will absolutely never please everyone on the planet. But I believe that God has honored our church's unwavering commitment to him and his word and his mission that he's called us to. And that's where our eyes need to remain focused. In such a dark time, it's been such a blessing to my heart. I've been encouraged by friends with the wonderful promise in James chapter 1 to provide wisdom when we need it and when we ask for it. And that's a promise that I know I can cling to. And it's reassured me yet again of his faithfulness and his goodness in my life and in the life of our church. 
All of these events have confirmed for us the undeniable call of God on our lives and the draw of our people together with one mission and one kingdom goal of bringing God honor and bringing him glory in our lives. Unity that will bypass the non-essential doctrinal nuances that are among us, the disagreements about social topics, the ways we exercise our Christian liberties, how to accomplish our various passions and callings, and yes, even the differences on our Spotify playlists. But this is a time that as your pastor, I want to call you in. That as pastors, our team, we want to call you in, and we must call you in to believe in us, to trust in our hearts, and pray for God's wisdom over us, and to exercise patience and self-control and understanding about our common mission of making much of the name of Jesus. That there is no other agenda for me or for our pastors, but Jesus. He's it. And we're going to make mistakes and do some stuff that's weird, but we want to focus on Jesus and his honor and his glory. And so we're going to ask you to be a part of that in unity together. We have a great work ahead. It's important work, and we need to accomplish that work together. We have a lost and dying world who is watching. We have a lost and dying world who needs us to be about the work of the ministry, the work of proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And we hope that you will come in this room or you will watch online as we proclaim the good news of the gospel and as we equip and edify the saints to do the work of the ministry. We hope that you'll be in that work with us. I know that's what I'm going to get back to focusing on, and I hope you will as well. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful and we are thankful this morning for your word, that as we look to it this morning, that it would challenge us and that it would encourage us and that it would prompt us to change. God, I pray that as we read it and as we study it, that we would leave here different that we would not leave here the same way that we walked in, that we would leave here challenged and encouraged and uplifted to follow you, to know you, and to serve you better each and every moment in the days ahead. Lord, we are thankful for Jesus. We're thankful, we're so thankful, God, for his love for us and his grace and his mercy and all that he shows us and all that he showed us by dying for us and giving us hope and giving us life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we are in part two of our series called Disciplines. And the main goal of this series has been to, is, has been to look at the disciplines of Jesus and then reflect those actions in our own daily rhythms. We are to look to Jesus and reflect, to observe what he did and then reflect those actions in our daily lives. And last week we talked about the principle or the discipline of solitude, of silence and solitude. We all need a little quiet, would you agree? We all need some time alone. And Jesus needed some quiet as well. We see this in his example. He was busy, he was really busy doing the work that his father had sent him here to do. Jesus was working hard. Jesus was healing the sick. He was making the lame walk. He was raising the dead back to life. He was teaching the word of God. He was making disciples. He was serving and he was loving people. Jesus knew all about busyness. 
He knew all about hard work. He knew all about distractions. He knew all about the chaos of this world and all of the things that are going on around us. He knew what it felt like to feel overwhelmed. But Jesus was diligent to get away from all the work. He was was diligent to get away from all of that noise and all of that chaos and all of that stuff that isn't necessarily bad. But he was diligent to get away and find some silence and solitude. He knew that he himself and all of us needed that time alone and that time away. Because solitude promotes spiritual health. That we can actually be healthier from a spiritual perspective by practicing this discipline of solitude and silence in our lives. It can even make a positive impact on you, on, on your mental state and even your physical state. So the homework last week was to find a place, to find some time to practice solitude. Did you do that? Did you have that time this past week where where you got away for silence and solitude, solitude? Did you experience it? And how did it go? I hope it was refreshing, and I hope that it was a joy to your spirit But don't forget about it in the days ahead. Don't forget about it tomorrow and Tuesday. This isn't just something that we wanted you to do for for seven days this past week, but this is a discipline, a a principle that we want to see, that Jesus modeled for us, that we want to see you living out each and every day in your life. It's important, even though we have to continue and move on and practice new disciplines in our lives. And so today we're going to continue with another important discipline, the discipline of prayer. The passage of scripture that we're going to read this morning is very common to many of us in the room, and it's not going to be, this is not going to be an exhaustive teaching on prayer. So if you're looking for that, that's not what today is going to be about. But I pray that it will be a reminder for you and I to think about the great importance of prayer and its great need in each and every one of us. And it's consistent practice and how it's needed to be in our lives. So we're going to see a clear guide from the very mouth of Jesus on how we should approach the discipline of prayer. So if you're here in Luke chapter 11, we're going to begin reading together in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Prayer. Just hearing that word, some of you just tensed up just a little bit. Some of you started to feel overwhelmed. You may even feel feelings of guilt And maybe you're reminded that in the area of prayer, the struggle is intensely real for you. And like most of you, I'm going to admit that I've for sure had my up and down journey. I've had my ups and my downs with prayer over my 30 plus years of following Jesus. I've heard the teaching. I have been challenged by so many pastors and leaders to do it as a discipline consistently But as a person who was organized with my time and I like to produce results, I fall into ruts where I forget 
that God is working in the moments when I stop working myself and pray. Even when I don't feel like that time is productive, God is moving and God is working and God is doing something in that moment. Anyone else there? Anyone else struggle at all with prayer? Statistics will say that most of us do. And I know that I do. But we use so many excuses for why we don't spend time in prayer. And I'm ashamed to admit that that's the truth more than I want to admit in my own life. And I'm sure many many of you in the room, you feel the same tension. And to be honest, I don't think I'd trust a person in the room who says that they don't have some type of ongoing struggle or anyone who says that they are completely 100% satisfied with the time that they spend praying. I can't think of anyone who would actually admit that we, we don't need to pray more. Maybe you have never been taught how to pray. Maybe no one has ever taken the time to show you the why of prayer. It can sometimes seem like a very overwhelming thing. Is there a wrong way to pray? Are there a certain set of words? Do we have to, do we have to say it this specific way? Or am I wasting my time if I don't actually pray the way that my best friend prays or that super Christian that just says everything just perfect? Is, am I wasting my time? Or maybe you feel guilty spending all that time just asking God for things. You wonder, is it selfish for me to ask God to give me a spouse? Is it selfish for me to beg God to provide a child for me and my wife or to heal that, to heal that loved one or even myself of cancer or sickness or to help us get that new job or that promotion? Why would he bother with my life? These are all questions I've asked. Why would he bother with me? Why does he care about me? I know someone who says that they don't want to pray because they know that they're not living right and they don't think God's going to hear them and they don't want to face what he might actually want to say to them. Or it could be that you honestly just, this one's tough because I think there's more of you in this category than you would want to admit. Maybe you honestly just don't believe in prayer. Maybe you don't believe It actually works. That you have prayed and you have begged God for something specific in your life and God never seems to hear and he definitely doesn't ever answer that prayer. And if God's will is going to be done anyways in your life and in this world, why bother? I've said that. I've said that pretty recently. You see, some people have a fatalistic and deterministic mindset about prayer. And at the end of it all, maybe God just has more in people, more important people to listen to than me. Maybe God's more concerned with the really important people and little lowly Zach who lives in Worcester, Ohio with four kids and, and he doesn't really have anything special to offer the world. God doesn't care about a little nothing like me. Maybe you've said those things before too. And that tension and that struggle is real. But what if there's more? And what if we're missing something? When we examine what Jesus asks his followers to do through prayer, we have to be using the same understanding of what prayer actually is. So what is prayer? 
Well, when we are saved, when we're born again, if you remember a couple of weeks ago in our Reflecting the New series in Colossians chapter three, there's this moment in a Christian's life where they, where they are raised to life, where they are raised from the dead and they are given new life in and through the person of Jesus Christ through the gospel. We are saved and we are born again. And in that moment, something, something happens. Something that seems strange happens. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit of God moves in and takes up residence in our lives. And prayer then becomes one of the main ways that we, as Pastor Cedric mentioned earlier, communicate with our God. It's a relationship that works two ways. We talk to God and he listens to us. And he speaks to us through his word and and through the spirit as it leads us. And don't forget, though, that solitude plays an important role in this process. That we have to silence all the noise and all the chaos and all the drama and all the stuff in our lives so we can actually hear when he's speaking to us when we are praying and asking for his guidance and when we're reading his word. Here's how it works. It's very similar to how a child today will approach their father and talk to him. That's the picture that we have when it comes to the discipline of prayer. That prayer is simply God's children, people who belong to God. It's, it's them talking to him. And how much more of a loving father is our God? He loves us way more then I love my children. There are over 600, I love my kids, I love you guys. (laughs) Yeah, I just saw the, I just saw the lean over, like dad doesn't love us as much. (laughs) So put it on record that I love them deeply. (laughs) But there are over 600 examples of prayer in our Bible. There are over 400 examples Examples of answered prayer in our Bibles. And we see 25 examples from Jesus Christ himself in the New Testament. I think it's a pretty important discipline. If it shows up that much, would you agree? You see, prayer produces heavenly connection. But why in the world would Jesus pray? This has been debated for ages. There are books and articles. There are sermons about why did Jesus pray? I mean, if Jesus was God in the flesh, prayer just seems kind of silly, if we're being honest. Author Mark Jones has written about this question, why did Jesus pray? And his answer is not super theological and profound. The answer is, he simply needed to. Jesus needed his father. Although he was God, he was a part of the Trinity, he was a part of the Godhead, he still took on flesh and he had a human body. He became a man and he prayed because of his relationship with his father. And Jesus making a priority out of prayer, it shows God's communion with his son, which is a picture of God's communion with his children, his people, which includes you and it includes me. And it displays how God views us as his children. That Jesus came and he lived this life and he set this example for us. It connects right back with our theme for this year. 
We observe his example. Jesus prayed and we reflect and imitate his heart. He knew that he needed the Father. He knew that he couldn't do the things that that his Father had sent him here to do without him and without that deep communion with him. And the same goes for us. We need the Father. So Jesus prayed because he needed to. But when did Jesus pray? Well, we read a few of these last week because they, they do connect often with the practice of solitude and silence in our lives. And I'm going to go through these again. I'm not going to read the verses. I'm just going to give you the, the book and the chapter where you can find them. But Jesus prayed when he was processing emotions in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew 15, he prayed before eating food. He prayed when making really big decisions in, math, or in Luke chapter 6. In John 17, he prayed and he lifted up other followers and believers. In Luke 10, he prayed his actual praises back to God. During great times of suffering and despair and pain and trial and trouble, he prayed in Mark 14. And in Luke 22, we see that he was praying while being tempted by the enemy. So Jesus prayed, and he prayed in similar situations that we find ourselves living in as well. So why should we pray? Why why should Zach Swift pray? Why should you insert your name? Why should you pray? Because he tells us to. Because he tells you to. And Jesus always has a great reason for why he asks you and I to do something. In Luke 18, verse 1 Jesus tells the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Robert Velarde said, one key reason to pray is because God has commanded us to pray. If we are to be obedient to his will, then prayer must be part of our life in him. We pray because he tells us to. So how should we pray? And this is where it can be fun or overwhelming. Jesus did give us a pattern just as a helpful guide. So don't let that stress you out. If you're not an organized person and you don't like grids, this may freak you out. But it's a good thing, I think, and I would like you to maybe think of it more of of a map than a rule book. Don't think of it as this set rules. We We don't pray for others to see us. We don't have to use eloquent theologically rich and deep words when we pray. You don't have to, you don't have to be, you don't have to be reserved. It's open, honest talking to our Father. You can pour out your heart to Him because don't forget, He knows your thoughts anyways. And I don't mean that we, we need to be disrespectful or irreverent or dishonoring to God but we can be really real and raw and honest when we pray. He's God. He can take it. He's not as sensitive as you and as I definitely am. He can take it. Lamentations 2 verse 19 says, Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. That is a deep picture of pouring it all out at the feet of our God. You see, prayer produces heavenly connections. So I want to read another passage together, one that 
is very common to the majority of us in the room, and it's in Matthew chapter 6. So if you would turn over to, or turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Very common. It's kind of sandwiched here in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is preaching. He has just given the Beatitudes and a list of things to be about, to, to do, to be focused on. It's a parallel passage to what we read earlier here in Luke chapter 11. We read this just a few moments ago in our word of worship. But Matthew 6, begin reading with me in verse 5. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. This is that silence and solitude that I talked about last week. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father who is in heaven. I love this grid. I use this grid every single day as I pray. It's a guide for me. It gives me direction. It gives me a, a foothold as I pray. But this, our Father in heaven, it is a declaration that he is our Father and then he cares about us, and he is in heaven, and he is, he is preparing a place for those of us who are his children. We are in his family. We are safe, and we are secure in his family, and anyone who has been born again is safe and secure. And we collectively get to experience community with him in this life and in the life to come. He's our father, and he's in heaven. He's set apart He's different. The verse continues, hallowed be your name. God is holy and God is separated from all other things. His name is pure and it's set apart. This statement alone is an act of worship. It's a picture of, of, of positioning ourselves rightly before our God. That when we start our prayers by praising God and thanking him for all that he has done in our lives, when we, when we start our times of prayer by being, God, thank you so much for saving such a sinner, a wretch such as, as me. Thank you so much for forgiving me of that sin and that shortcoming and that issue and that thing that I just did. Thank you so much. I praise you because you are good and you are holy and you are set apart and you you are worth praying to. Amen. You see, we thank him for his goodness. And when we do that, it positions our hearts in the right place. This is more than just praying a name. It's about who he is. It's about praying to a God who is, who is holy. It's about praying and, and about who he is, his holiness, his nature, his character, and his love. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should pray for 
and seek his kingdom and his kingdom purposes while living on this earth. It's his mission that we should be setting our minds on as we studied in Colossians chapter 3. We set our minds on things that are above. We set our hearts. We posture ourselves to be focused on his kingdom, to be focused on his mission and what he has called each and every one of us to do. This also shows, though, that our prayers do matter to God, that he has a sovereign purpose, yet we are told to pray for his purpose to be accomplished. We may never understand how all of that that works on this side of heaven. And I got to be honest, understanding God's sovereign purposes is kind of like actually understanding and being able to explain the Trinity. It will blow your mind completely out of your head. It's really hard to wrap our minds around these things, yet we believe them. But we pray for his will to be done in our lives and in our church and in our community and in our world. God, what is it that you want to do through me and through our church and in our world? In Matthew 26, Jesus prayed this prayer himself. It says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will ultimate prayer of our Savior was that God's will would be done in and through him. So what does God want to do in you? What does God want to do through us? Well, that's why we pray, and that's why we read his word, and that's why we follow his spirits leading in our lives, so we can hear and know what his perfect will is in our lives. The next thing we see in this text is that we can ask God for things, And he welcomes and he expects it. He says here in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. These are our daily needs that we're supposed to go to him with. That we're supposed to recognize our need for him to sustain us and to fill us and give us what we need for the journey that uh, that, that is ahead. Listen, we, we are spoiled people. We are truly blessed to live in America. We're Very few of us have to worry about our physical needs and what's coming next. We don't really, it's easy to forget that God is the one who is supplying our needs. But if we humble ourselves and remember that he is our provider, he will honor that. He cares about our physical needs. He cares about the daily needs of your life. And notice that he doesn't tell us to just pray once a week. For all the needs that we're going to have for the next seven days. You don't just, hey, Sunday morning, God, give me my daily needs until Saturday. He says, give us this day our daily bread. So God, give me what I need today, and I'm going to be back tomorrow. And I'm going to be asking you again to give me what I need. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, this one's harder. And forgive us our debts. We're thankful for that as we also have forgiven our debtors. Ding, ding, ding. That one's not fun. How do and how should we view forgiveness? I want you to write this down. We're not going to read it, but in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, 
Jesus addresses this in a parable about a man who had been forgiven so much, like more than he could ever repay, which is where we are. But then he refused to forgive someone else a very, very small debt. That's what our relationship with God is like. He has forgiven us so much and he offers a payment for our sin debt. Therefore, we have no right to refuse forgiveness to others with whom have such a small debt owed to us. Compared to what God has forgiven us, we have a great need to be a forgiving people. I've had to preach that one to myself a lot. But forgiveness should be a part of our prayer routine. We need to make daily confession of sin a daily rhythm. We need to make, and we need to remember how much we've been forgiven, and it should cause us to forgive others. Jesus continues in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God does allow temptation into our world. He never causes it. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. We know that temptation is a work of God's enemy, Satan, as he has an active agenda against all the things that God wants to do in you and in our world. He has an active agenda against God's kingdom moving forward in this world. Yet he does see fit, though, to allow temptation into our lives. He does allow us to go through deep times of testing and temptation. And as his followers, we can be praying for deliverance during these times, and we can be asking for the strength to endure during those seasons. In Luke 22, that's what we see Jesus doing in the garden, or in the wilderness, when he's being tempted by the enemy. Because all of us struggle with temptation. And it's not always the big things. It's not just the sins that make it to the news. It can sometimes be the small things that we don't even see happening around us. In 1 Corinthians 10, it tells us that we will never be tempted beyond what we can handle. And that simply means that we can always overcome and move past temptation in our lives. This side of heaven, though, we may never fully know how much temptation God didn't actually allow in our path. But this verse is a promise that we can cling to, that if we encounter it, we can be sure that we are equipped to withstand it. And I hope that this section of verses, I hope that Matthew chapter 6 is burned into your memory, because I think it is something that we all should pray, and we should all use as a guide each and every day in our lives. So if we know a little bit better about how to pray. What about when to pray? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray continually or without ceasing, always. Again, I want you to get that monk in a monastery kind of thing out of your head. Praying continually just means that we should be in a consistent state of communion and communication with our God. It doesn't mean that we walk around 24-7 verbally praying out loud all the time. That's not what it means. It's more about a posture of prayer. It's a mindset. It's an awareness. When someone comes to your mind, pray. When you see a car accident, pray. If you hear someone is going into the hospital, 
pray. If someone has an upcoming surgery, pray. If someone is waiting for cancer test results, pray. If you feel anxious, pray. If you feel scared, pray. When you hear of a death in someone else's family, pray for that family. When missionaries send reports of needs in hard times, stop and pray. When someone asks you to pray, stop right there and pray. When you're thinking about the mission of the church and what our goal is in this world and what we've been sent here to do, pray. Many of you know that we have this thing, this initiative in our church called the One Campaign. It's simple. It's one Savior, one person, one day at a time. We have called our church family to be intentional about sharing and spreading and proclaiming the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world around us. You should be praying for your one every single day. You should mention their name. God, help me to live the way you have called me to live. Help me to observe your example and imitate your heart in my life so that I am positioned to have a good testimony and a good witness in front of my one. We should be praying for our one and that God would help us be who we need to be so we can give an answer for the hope that is within us. We should pray. Pastor Eric has modeled this so well in the last couple of weeks, I never noticed it before, but in the last couple of weeks, we're driving down the road in a church van and God brings somebody to his heart. And he just prays. We're sitting at dinner mid-bite and we pray for somebody. We get a text message in the office, middle of staff meeting. We just stop and we pray. It doesn't have to be burning a hole through the carpet in your closet kind of thing. When you feel God leading you to pray, pray. Paul tells us in Colossians 4 to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. We should, as Christians, have a devotion to prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's okay to ask God to heal you. It's okay to ask God to give you a baby or a spouse or a new job and so many other things. It's okay to ask God for things. And we can pray expectantly because he hears us, but we must trust that he knows what's best. And he may say yes, he may say no, he may say not yet, And it's not always easy, but we can trust his heart and we can trust his will for our lives every single time. Jesus led by example and we should follow that example. And it will always be what's best for you and it will always be what's best for me. Matthew chapter six is vitally important in your prayer life. So are you convinced that Jesus and his example of prayer as a discipline is important enough to follow today? Would you like to pray more? Like silence and solitude, are you willing to make prayer a daily discipline in your life? Are you willing to set aside a time and a place even that you're just gonna, you're gonna discipline yourself that every morning in the shower, I'm just gonna pray. It's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. It's good time actually. There's nothing else happening but showering. And that's the homework for this week. 
to find a time and a place and pray. Actively develop the discipline of prayer in your life. Maybe it's during your time of silence and solitude that you've already set up. It doesn't have to be perfect. Maybe it's on your drive to work. Maybe it's during your morning run. It can be any time throughout the day for any amount of time. You don't have to pray for four hours a day. But start somewhere. It's worth it. I believe that it could be one of the best things that you do with your time. And one thing is certain, prayer is essential. Jesus knew how important it was because when we pray, God works. We draw close to him. Just ask someone who prays. They know. We draw close to God and it changes us because prayer produces heavenly connection. Heavenly Father, we are grateful and thankful this morning for Jesus. And so God, as we look to your son Jesus as an example, God, help us to just be diligent and listen and to make the disciplines of our Savior a priority in our hearts and in our lives. God, one thing is certain— We need you. God, we need less of us and more of you. We need less of the voices in this world, and we need more of your voice. So God, help us to listen to you and talk to you and trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.